Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Let's just uh, open in prayer today. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Jesus, for what it means that you gave your life as a ransom for many, that we could be saved, that we could have fellowship with you, that we could have that gift of eternal life and be reconciled to you. Lord, I pray for those that may be listening that don't know you. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would call them to you unto salvation. And Lord, I pray for those that are saved, Lord, that they would um, hear your word, that they would be spurred on to share the gospel with other people that they come in contact with that may not know you. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We pray that you'd give us understanding. Your anointing would be upon our hearts today. And we ask this believing with thanksgiving in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. When Nicky was growing up, he hated himself and he hated other people. He said that he hated the world. He hated the world because he didn't feel loved and he didn't feel important or needed or as if he had any kind of real purpose. In fact, Nicky felt hated. Nicky felt hated because his parents were involved in occult practices, witchcraft, and spiritualism. And when he was just a small boy, he remembers distinctly his own mother saying this about Nikki to Nikki as she practiced her strange, dark pronouncements and incantations. She said this to her child son, No, not Nikki. He's never been mine. He's the child of the greatest of all witches, Lucifer. No, he's not mine. No, not mine. He is the son of Satan, the child of the devil. The hand of Lucifer is upon his life. The finger of Satan touch his soul. And then she went on to call this little boy, her son, a, a devil. She said, get out, devil. Get away from me. Leave me, devil. Away, away, away. Nikki's father was a voodoo witch doctor, and he also spoke a message of death over Nikki. Because of his parents' words and their treatment, if Nikki had any inkling at all that he had a soul or a spirit, he believed that his soul was in a place of hopelessness. He believed that he had no hope, and he was overrun with feelings of guilt and self-loathing. And by the time Nikki was 15 years old, when his parents sent him to live in New York City, by that time he had become a hardened, violent monster. Nikki came to love violence, mayhem, and bloodshed. He was filled with a murderous spirit, a violent rage, and an all-consuming hatred. He was a boy that loved the sight of blood. And within a very short period of time, Nikki became the leader of the most feared criminal gang in New York City at that time. Over a period of two years, he was arrested 21 times. Nikki once said this about law and law enforcement. He said, our fondest dream was to kill a cop. Because people were terrified of Nikki and his gang, he was repeatedly turned loose from imprisonment, in part because people were afraid of, so afraid of him that they would not testify against him in court. Well, at the age of 18, a judge once appointed a counselor to try to talk to Nikki, and after meeting with him for a few days, in an effort to help him, he provided this assessment and analysis of Nikki to Nikki. He said, quote, 
I've worked with kids like you for years. I used to live in the ghetto, but I've never seen a kid as hard, cold, and savage as you. You hate everyone. I'll give it to you straight. You're doomed. There's no hope for you. And unless you change, you're on a one-way street to jail, the electric chair, and hell. Well, over the two-year period that Nikki was the leader of his gang, 17 people died in the gang's neighborhood. Nikki was a broken person. He described himself this way. He said, quote, I was an animal without a conscience, morals, reason, or any sense of right or wrong, end quote. Nicky was greatly feared, and he struck terror into the hearts of anyone he encountered on the streets. If they recognized who he was, they would walk to the other side of the street. But he was filled with terror, fear, and anxiety, so much so that for two years he said that he hardly slept at nights. He was plagued with horrible dreams, night terrors, that night after night caused him to wake up screaming and wailing in fear. Nikki tried everything to find peace, but he was overcome with a thirst for blood and violent crime. He tried drugs, alcohol. He had many sexual relationships, but nothing made the desire to hurt people, the fear, the anxiety, and the hatred that he had in his heart go away. But then something miraculous, something wonderful happened that changed Nikki's life. Nikki came to understand that he had a purpose and that his life had meaning. And for the first time in his life, he learned that someone very important loved him. His broken life and his broken spirit were made whole. He learned that he didn't have to live in anxiety, fear, and guilt. He learned that he could be free from guilt and be made clean and forgiven for all the crimes and the sins and the horrible things that he'd done. Most importantly, he knew that when he left this life, he would spend eternity with the Heavenly Father that loved him. So what brought about this miraculous change? Well, a country pastor from a tiny, unknown church in Pennsylvania heard about Nicky and his gangs in New York, and he made it his mission to begin to pray for Nicky and the, and the gangs in New York. And then he went to New York, and he shared the gospel with Nicky's, Nicky and the others, he shared the truth of Jesus Christ with them. Now, this pastor essentially helped Nikki find the answers to five very important questions that I'm going to ask you today. Finding Jesus Christ and the answer to these five questions set Nikki free and gave him peace, freedom from fear and bondage, and provided him with a purpose and made him to understand that he was loved and, most importantly, led him to eternal life through Jesus Christ. I really enjoy meeting people and making new friends. And I've noticed over the years that many people, young and old, have questions about life. I've noticed when I talk to people that they have questions that they sometimes don't have answers to. For some people, life is like a mystery. Some people are filled with uncertainty, anxiety, and fear as they look to the future and what the future may hold for them when they leave this life. Today, I'm going to share with you five very important questions that I believe everyone should have answers to, and I'm going to provide honest answers to these five questions. Here's the first question. The first question that I want everyone here today to know the answer to is this. Do you know 
that you're greatly loved by God. Maybe there's someone here today that doesn't understand that God, that same God who created them, also loves them. When people fail to recognize God's love for them, they sometimes hate themselves. Or I've observed that they wrongly elevate themselves to a place of importance above God. Or they sometimes fall into a state of hopelessness and dark despair. Well, here's some good news. John 3.16 explains God's love for the people that he created. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, what truths and answers to the question that I asked do these verses reveal? Well, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save people from the consequences of sin. And what is sin? Well, sin is anything that we do that breaks God's law or displeases God. How does a person know if something is wrong or sinful? God has given us his word, the Bible, to help us to understand his standard for right and wrong. Because of sin, death entered into this world, and because of sin, we're estranged and separated from God. But here's the good news. The verses that I just shared with you that point to God's love for people explain that God loves people so much that he sent his son Jesus to bear our sins and shed his blood as he died on the cross so that we can be brought to God. Some people call that being reconciled to God and have fellowship with him. And that's why we celebrate Easter and Resurrection Sunday. Now this happens when a person believes and places their trust in Jesus to save them. Now some people wrongly assume that they can earn forgiveness and that they're saved when they do good deeds or good works. The Bible tells us that God wants us to obey Him and do good works, but we're not saved by the good things that we, we do. We are saved by grace. And what does that mean? Well, it means that God gives us a gift that we don't deserve, a gift that we can't earn or pay for. Now, this free gift called salvation is a gift of eternal life with God. And what does that mean? It means that we're able to live forever with Him. That's what salvation means. Here's the second very important question that you may not know the answer to. Do you know that you can be forgiven by God for your sins and receive forgiveness? Romans 5.12 explains how our sin has created heartache, chaos, separation from God, and death in this world. The verse says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When a person believes in Jesus and places their trust in Him and confesses their sin to God, the Bible tells us that a person's sins are forgiven. According to Jesus, he's the only way to receive this gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Jesus said, as is recorded 
In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, the Savior said. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 guarantees to anyone believing in Jesus and confessing their sins that all of their sins will be forgiven. The verse says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A person has their sins cleansed when they believe in Jesus, admit and confess their sins, and forsake or repent of their sin. Not only does God forgive sins, but he also chooses, thank God, to forget sins. Now, this is significant because if God has forgotten our sins, then we should also put our sins behind us. As a person is forgiven, they're free from the guilt, they're free from the shame, and they're free, completely free, from the condemnation of their past sins. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. This is good news. I will remember no more. Do you know that you can be forgiven of your sins by God? Yes. God forgives sins. Here's the third question that I wanted everyone to know the answer to. Do you know that you have an eternal nature and that you are an eternal soul? Listen, you are not a mistake or an accident, no matter what someone may have told you as you were growing up. God planned you. God created you. You are not an animal. You are not the random product of an evolutionary process. You are a person made in the image of God. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 explains how God planned all of the days of your life before you were ever even conceived. The verses say, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when yet there were none of them. God sees you, friend. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You are precious to God, and you are are made in his image. Genesis 1:27 says, "So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created male and female, he created them." Psalm 103 explains that we have a creator God and that we are his special creation. The verse says, "Know that the Lord he is God. It is he who made us." And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Ephesians 2.10 says, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created you to live forever with him in eternity. Now, some people say that we have a soul, but I like how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Because we have an eternal nature, death seems so unnatural to us. And that's why when we attend a funeral of a loved one, death seems so strange. It seems so wrong. And there's a reason why. Ecclesiastes 3.11 explains why. The verse says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, God has put eternity in their hearts. God created men and women to live forever. Do you know that you have an eternal nature? The answer to that question is yes. When you believe in Jesus, you have a forever place in God's family and His eternal kingdom. The saved person becomes God's child forever. The fourth very important question that you may not know the answer to has to do with your purpose. You know, I run into people all the time that that will say something like this. They'll say, why am I here? What's my purpose? Do you know that you have a purpose in Jesus Christ? According to God's Word, you do. God created you for His pleasure so that you might glorify Him and bring glory to His person as you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and worship Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that in everything we do, we are to bring glory to God. The verse says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every gift that God has blessed you with, your very life, should be put to use by you to bring glory to God. God has provided His Word, the Bible, to us so that we would know how to live according to His will. God's Word provides us with information about His divine nature and character and how we should live, and it tells us how we can have a permanent forever relationship with God. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever. When a person dedicates their life to living for God and glorifying Him, listen, they don't have to be afraid or filled with anxiety. They understand their purpose. As you believe, you will have a reason to live and a purpose. You will have a Savior that you can speak to in prayer, that hears you and knows you intimately. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What's the result? Well, it says this. It says, In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds Through Christ Jesus. When you believe and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, that doesn't mean that you're no longer going to have any problems. Jesus told us that in this world we would have troubles. But as you face difficulties, you will have the assurance that God is with you. God will be with you as you face trials, as you face difficult circumstances, scary uncertainties. He will be with you even 
as unto death. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The verses say. When you use your talents, when you use your gifts, your business, your belongings, your time, your substance, your words, your thoughts, and mind to glorify God, you will find a purpose and you will find fulfillment in Jesus Christ that nothing else in this world can give you. If you are his child, you will have a peace that passes understanding. And most importantly, as you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be made new and receive the gift of eternal life, a permanent gift that no one can ever take from you. Do you have a purpose? The answer to that question is yes. Your purpose is to glorify God and to live your life for Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 7 and 8 explains it this way. The verses say, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. The fifth very important question that you may not know the answer to is probably the most vitally, eternally significant, important of the five questions I've shared with you today. The question is this, what will happen to you when you die? Where will you go? Now, some atheists wrongly believe that when a person dies, that they just simply cease to exist. One major world religion teaches that people are trapped in an endless, continuous cycle of dying and being reborn and reincarnated over and over again and again and again. Another major world religion teaches that everything in the world is, is just a product of a person's mind and that people don't even have a soul. Another major world religion teaches that everyone will go to hell and then later some people might earn a place in paradise as a result of their good works. What did Jesus say happens to a person when he or she dies? What does the Bible say about the fate of a person after death? Well, according to Jesus, God the Son, He will be the ultimate arbiter and judge over who receives the gift of eternal life and God's presence in heaven. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 5, through 24, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, talking about Himself, Jesus, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death into life. To be saved and have the assurance of salvation or eternal life in heaven, a person must believe and place their trust in Jesus to award to them an undeserved gift, that gift of eternal life. Hebrews 11.6 explains how faith and belief in Jesus Christ is necessary for entrance into heaven. The verses say, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Many people today are confused and believe that their good works and kind deeds and the positive things they do will allow them to attain the gift of entrance into heaven. But this is not true according to God's word. The Apostle Paul explained how a person's works cannot save them. Talking about God, he said, as is recorded in 2 Timothy 1, 9, and 10. Talking about God, it says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought immortality to light through the gospel. A believer in Jesus Christ's spirit or soul is ushered into God's presence when they die. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says, So we're always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We do not die over and over again through a continuous cycle of rebirths and reincarnations. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear our sins, the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. When Jesus returns, he's going to give those still living and those that have already died that have believed in him new and glorified physical bodies. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 explains how our new glorified bodies will be like Jesus' eternal resurrected body. The verses say, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly Wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. When we die, we do not cease to exist. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18 says, Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Jesus will return and take those that have believed in him home to heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5:14, or excuse me, 4:15 through 18 describes Jesus' glorious return for his children. Here's what the verses say. Say, for this we say to you. By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, God's word says, comfort one another with these words. The God of the Bible is not a cultural construct. Human beings did not invent 
the one true living God of the Bible. And our individual experiences do not define reality. The words of the creator of all things and the truth of his word define reality. Isaiah 2, 10 and 11 explains God's eternal nature and how he has no beginning, ending, or creator. The verses say, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. Any person that does not place their trust and believe in Jesus to receive of his gift of eternal life will be separated from God in a place of torment for all eternity called hell. Jesus has given a clear warning to any person that rejects his free gift of salvation, refusing to believe in him. Jesus said this, as is recorded in Luke 12, 4 and 5. He said this, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him, Jesus said. Some try to accuse God of being cruel to consign a person to eternal punishment. But Jesus has made a way for all to receive his reward. Hell will be a horrible, painful place because we will not be in God's presence nor ever be able to fellowship with him. This separation will be the worst horror of hell. Consider this, that any place, even a room in a five-star luxury hotel would be a place of torment if we had to stay there for eternity separated from God. Do you know where you'll be spending eternity when you die? You can have the assurance of living forever in the presence of Jesus Christ today as you place your trust and believe in him. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now you might be wondering what became of Nikki. Well, at first, when the country preacher told Nikki something that I've shared with you today, that God loved Nikki. Nikki literally spit on the preacher and threatened a few times to kill him. But God did not give up on Nikki, and the preacher didn't give up on Nikki. And as this country preacher named David Wilkerson continued to tell a young Nikki Cruz about the love of Jesus Christ, and as the Holy Spirit called him to salvation, Nikki believed in Jesus Christ, and he became the recipient of grace. He received the gift of salvation. Nicky Cruz became a preacher himself, and as he returned to his boyhood home, he led his own mother that had spoken with so much despair, evil, and such hatred to her son to salvation in Jesus Christ, along with his two younger brothers. Nicky Cruz has served the Lord in ministry for the past 50 years, and he serves them faithfully to this day. But I want to ask you, is there someone here today with questions? I've asked you questions.
Is there someone here today that's saying, I I want to receive God's love and love God and love his people? Is there someone saying today, I want to receive that gift of salvation, Jesus Christ's forgiveness of my sins as I believe and place my trust in him? Is there someone saying today, yes, I want to have that peace that passes all understanding? Friend, you can have that gift. If you've never believed and trusted Jesus Christ unto salvation, you can do that right now, today, as the Holy Spirit calls you to Him. You can receive that gift of salvation. It's a free gift to you. But Jesus paid a dear price so that you could enjoy that free gift of salvation. A gift that you or I can never hope to earn. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gift of salvation. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly allowed yourself to die, to be mocked, to be scourged, to die the death of a criminal on a cross for us so that our sins could be taken to that cross so that we could have absolution and have our sins completely cleansed and forgiven by you. We thank you, Jesus, for that. And Lord, I pray for every saint here today that has believed and trusted you unto salvation. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to walk closely with you, Lord, that you'd help us to be obedient to you, that you would help us to flee from sin and to turn toward you. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today that has never believed or trusted you unto salvation, that as you call them to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would be saved. Father, I ask this believing, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And if there's anyone present today that has never believed or trusted Jesus Christ unto salvation, and you feel that the Lord is calling you to him today, I'd love to meet with you, to share with you more about what that means, and to pray with you.